We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12. You'll be finding that in your Bible. I enjoy the song service. I always enjoy the song service wherever I am. If I'm up here on the platform, it's just really meaningful, worshiping the Lord together and hearing your voices. And when I get to sit out there, which is a rare occasion, it's always a joy. But I think my favorite place to listen to the song service I discovered tonight is is up in the baptistry area. It seems to sound just really special. So you might think about that. We could kind of take turns, one or two get up there. It's just a blessing just to hear people singing. I appreciated Ross's solo part of the choir song. It's really a blessing. We've um, been on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights for some weeks. We've been looking at some different aspects of things that the Bible declares will occur in the future. And there are a lot of uh, pieces to that puzzle, some which are easier to understand and some are not so easy to understand. But, uh, and there are a lot of different actors, players, involved, people and entities involved. And when we're trying to wrap our mind around all that, um, one thing we sometimes forget is the key role that God has had for Israel in his plan, beginning with Abraham called from the Ur of the Chaldees. And when Jesus came, he came to this earth first to the Jews. And he sent his disciples first to the Jews. But then the Jews, as we know, more and more rejected him, not all of them. The disciples themselves were Jewish converts to Christianity, to faith in Christ as the Messiah. But for the most part, the Jews as a nation have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. We talked about that this morning in our study of the Gospel of Mark and how the religious leaders conspired against Jesus to have him killed. But having said all that, one of the things that John in his revelation that he received from the Lord reminds us is that one of the key figures of the tribulation will be the nation of Israel. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight. And so um, we're going to read in Revelation chapter 12. And if you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. So good to see you tonight on this Sunday night. We've got a couple of our families that are out of town traveling But um, good to see you tonight. Good to have guests with us tonight. We appreciate you coming and worshiping with us. Let's begin in verse 1. Revelation chapter 12 in verse 1. And I think just to kind of keep our mind focused on the first part of it, we'll just read a couple of verses and have prayer. Verse 1 says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. John, of course, writing, recording, as he sees and hears, and God shows him there on the Isle of Patmos. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained, to be delivered. Now we're going to travel on through this chapter in a moment, but let's just stop there because we're going to look at this woman and see if we can't see for certain who that is 
and the role that she plays. So let's pray together. All right, Father, we thank you for the privilege it is tonight to assemble in this place and to open up this book, this miraculous book that you have given by divine inspiration that you have preserved for us miraculously and allowed it to be translated into our English language that we can read it and understand your words, your will. We pray that you'd open our eyes tonight and help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law as the psalmist prayed in the 119th Psalm. We ask you to do the same for us. Help us to be attentive. May the Holy Spirit guide us and speak to us about things we need to know. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Up until last week, up until actually the chapter previous to this, we've not said much about Israel, but just to refresh your memory, uh, in chapter 11, and a couple of verses, just two verses, verse 1 and 2, John said, there was, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, and this is being communicated to John, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they, the Gentiles, tread underfoot, Forty and two months or three and a half years. I, I mention that because this chapter 11 brings our attention back to Israel because it's talking about the temple. The temple that was um, destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans and is not there to this day. And we've been to Israel a couple of times and I can tell you firsthand there's the temple that does not exist. But in this chapter, it will exist, and it has to exist because of the things that are predicted or prophesied that will take place. So again, it kind of shifts our attention back to what's happening in Israel, in Jerusalem in particular. The temple will be built, and more than likely after the beginning of the early part of the tribulation period. Now let's go back to chapter 12, and who is this great this woman, this great wonder in heaven that John sees, chapter 12, verse 1, a woman and clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and under her head a crown of 12 stars, and she is with child. Verse 2 says, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So John sees this woman being in travail, ready to be delivered. Now, who is this woman? A lot of different people, like a lot of things in the book of Revelation, a lot of different opinions. Uh, the Part of the Catholic uh, belief is that Mary is this woman. They have several different beliefs about who this woman might be, but one of them is that she is Mary and that she'll give birth uh, to Jesus. Um, I don't know if you're familiar at all with the Christian science religion. It's not really a, a sound religion, but the founder of the Christian science religion was Mary Baker Eddy. And I'd heard this, but I looked it up myself just to look at some of their doctrines and beliefs and printed material. And Mary Baker Eddy believed she was the woman. And this fulfillment of prophecy would be fulfilled through her. Um, other people believe that this woman is the church. 
But when you see who the man-child is, the man-child can be only Jesus Christ. And the church did not give birth to Jesus Christ. So we know it's not the church. So I believe and I'm certain, I'm satisfied that this woman is the nation of Israel. And as we go through that, I think it becomes clear. I think there's some things that are mentioned here that are are, uh, reminiscent of something else we read about Israel there in verse 1 where it talks about the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and under her head a crown of 12 stars. Hold your finger there in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Sometimes books of the Bible are hard to be found, but not in this case. Genesis, Genesis chapter 37, and this is uh, the description of what Joseph saw the vision that Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob or Israel, saw. And I just want to just notice this dream he had in verse 9, Genesis 37, 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon And the eleven stars made obeisance to me, bowed down to me. Now we might read that and not know who those eleven stars are talking about, but when he shared this dream, his family knew what he was talking about. Look in verse 10. He told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. Father being Israel or Jacob. His father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother... And thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to the the earth. So here, Joseph saw 11 stars. He was the son that was not included in the dream. So he would be the 12 stars, the 12 tribes of Israel represented by those stars. And those 12 tribes of Israel represent the nation of Israel. They would become the nation of Israel. And to me, when I read this in Revelation chapter 12, let's go back there. And how this woman had this upon her head, this 12 stars and the sun and the moon under her feet. To me, it just kind of connects those two things. That's not the only thing that makes me know that this woman, this wonder in heaven, this woman was Israel. But that's, the, that's really one thing. These tw- the woman with the 12 stars, I believe, is Israel. And she is with child. And that's speaking of the fact that Jesus would come through the nation of Israel. And uh, that's, that language is found in other places of the Bible as well. I'm not going to look them up. But for instance, in the book of Micah, where it talked about where Jesus would be born, it says this, referring to Bethlehem, which is a city in Israel, it says, out of thee, talking about Israel, out of Bethlehem, out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is the ruler in Israel. That familiar passage in Isaiah 9, talking about the birth of Christ, unto us. A child is born, talking about to the people of Israel, unto us a son is given. And so let's just, we'll move, move from verses 1 and 2, but, but let's, I just want to make sure you understand why I believe that it clearly teaches that Israel is that woman and the child that's about to be born is Jesus. Now look in verse 3 of Revelation 12, if you would, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, another wonder. And behold, verse 3 says, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. So who is this red dragon? Well, just to make it easy, let's look down 
to verse 9 of chapter 12. And it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So when John sees this dragon in verse 3, there's no doubt as to who it's talking about. This great dragon is talking about the devil. As a matter of fact, looking quickly in chapter 13 in verse 1, and we see this beast, this dragon coming up out of the sea. And it says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So this dragon in verse 3 is, of course, the devil. If you look in verse 4, another thing that John wants to make sure we, he transmitted to us, wrote these things down, talking about in his tail, talking about the dragon. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So this dragon drew one-third of the stars out of heaven and cast them to the earth, which I believe is a clear uh, reference to the rebellion of Lucifer when Lucifer turned against God, filled with pride and full of himself, rebelled against God and his plan, and when he left, when he was, and I, and I believe that's what Jesus is referred to in Luke's gospel when he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I believe he was talking about when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. And it says here in verse 4, he drew the third part of the stars of heaven. You may have heard people say, maybe you've heard me say, that uh, a third of all the holy angels commit, created by God rebelled with Satan. And I believe that. This is the only place in the Bible that teaches that, though, or even refers to that. And I believe that's what it's talking about. When Satan, that dragon, when he left heaven, he took with him a large number of the angelic beings who became uh, evil spirits, devils, demons, whatever you want to call them. And so we see that happening here in verse 2. All these things John is seeing, this, uh, this wonder in heaven. But it also says in verse 4 that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And this is really starting to help us see this role of Israel and the, the animosity that the devil has toward Israel, the hatred he has toward Israel, and toward her child, which is Jesus. And we know that was, you know, to me, what, I'm sure it's this way with many of you when you He killed, ordered the death of all the children 
in the city two years and young, under two years old. Because why? Because he hates the child born of the woman. And that's exactly, I think, what verse 4 is referring to. It just helps us kind of put the pieces together. So in verse 5, it says, And she, talking about this woman, Israel, brought forth a man-child. And see if and this has to be Jesus, because it says then, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And you might think, well, I've read through the Gospels many times, and I never see Jesus ruling with a rod of iron. We'll just go a little bit further in the book of Revelation, and we'll see this. Fast forward to Revelation 19, and... Revelation chapter 19 and um, verse 11, John said, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Talking about the coming of Christ, the final, the second coming of Christ, not at the rapture of the saints, but when he comes back to um, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 14 says in the and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a short, sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So there's no doubt back to... Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5 that this child born to this woman who would rule the nation with a rod of iron is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 5, not only do we identify who he is, but it says her child, talking about Christ, was caught up unto God and to his throne, which Jesus did. Of course, he ascended back to heaven after his death and after his resurrection. And so... We have now the woman that John saw, Israel, the child that she would give birth to, Jesus, the animosity, the hatred uh, that the great dragon has toward the woman and toward her child. And that brings us then to verse um, 6. And the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So now you keep we keep seeing this this number a thousand threescore and um, two hundred thousand two hundred threescore days. That's forty two months and thirty days a month. That's three and a half years. And we keep seeing this over and over and over this three and a half year time frame. And so Israel is going to be protected. She's going to flee. We'll see this in the New Testament in the teachings of Christ here in just a moment. But she, she is going to flee. Matter of fact, Jesus warned her. When you see these things happening, warned the nation of Israel, you need to flee. You need to go for protection. And we'll see later that God himself will protect her. Let's look at, a, let's look at something in the... Uh, teachings of Christ. Now, we're going to come right back to Revelation 12. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, that chapter that's just really known for, famous for the answer to the question of the disciples when they asked Jesus, what should be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? And 
Matthew chapter 24 has much to say about that. But notice um, in verse, well, let's begin in verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Now, we'll, we're going to talk about this in the next lesson or two, but that's talking about when the Antichrist occupies the place in the temple, declares himself to be God. The abomination of desolation, desecrating the holy place in the temple that will be built at that time. When you see this happen, Jesus said, look in verse 16. Then let him that which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, because this is a time to get out of his Jerusalem. Because when you see this happen, and that'll be at the midpoint of the tribulation, when you see this happen, he's talking to Israel. You need to get out of town. Verse 21 says, for then, that's such a, a, a key component to this narrative, for then shall be great tribulation. They're already in the tribulation period. But then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So this is, let's go back to Revelation chapter 13, when it says that this woman, verse 6, John saw this woman flee into the wilderness, where there's a place prepared of God, and that they should feed her there for three and a half years. She'll be protected and I believe that is the second half, the last part of the tribulation period. That brings us then to verse 7. Another thing, all these things to me kind of fit together, but they're different pieces of the puzzle. Verse 7, John says, and there was war in heaven. And who's involved in this war? Verse 7 says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels. So we have this great war in heaven that he saw between Michael and his angels. That's the good guys. They wore white hats. And the, the dragon, Satan and his angels, and there's this, this, this cataclysmic, cataclysmic, this uh, powerful historic conflict in heaven. And it talks about it here in this passage. In verse 8 it says, the verse 7, the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not in verse 8. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So when this happens, Satan is going to be thrown out of heaven. Now that's not when he left uh, before the fall of man, when he became the serpent that tempted Adam. He left. But even after Satan was left heaven, no longer could serve in heaven, he still had access to, to the throne and to God. And we know that because, for instance, in the book of Job, when it tells us that when he came before the Lord and Satan said to him, where have you been? So the Satan has gone before the Lord and the Lord says, where have you been? And he says, I've just been walking to and fro in the earth and... The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So we know at that time 
even though Satan has sinned, even though a third of the angels have left with him, he still is able to go before us. And we'll see in a moment what he does before God. He accuses the brethren. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. We'll get to that in just a moment. But at this time, though, what John sees is he's fixed to be kicked out permanently. And uh, there's no place... Verse 8, neither was their, play any, was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon, in verse 9, was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Those angels that, that are part of his demonic host. They were cast out with him. And um, so this, I believe, is a key moment. It doesn't tell us exactly when this is happening. All these things are not chronological, but it could be that this is, again, at the midpoint of the tribulation because everything intensifies as far as the tribulation is concerned, and the devil is going to be mad. Now, he's, he's already been... Um, an evil creature, but he's, he's, he's fixing to be mad for a couple of reasons. So he's, verse 10 says, and I heard, now I heard, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now keep in mind, John is reading, writing this for us, and he's witnessing and hearing these amazing things as God is showing it to him on the Isle of Patmos. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So the, so the accuser of the brethren is cast down. This is a big deal for the devil to be banished, permanently banished from heaven. And this is what he does. He is the accuser of the brethren. And that we've talked about that in our services, talking about spiritual warfare. This is a part of his strategy. And he accuses us. He, he likes to accuse us to God. And in the day we live in now, he still is able to do that. But in this day, he gets evicted. And so he won't be able to do that anymore. And uh, thank God for that. There's several things about this that are good news. Good news is we're going to be in heaven watching all this, those of us that are saved. Good news is that um, we're not going to experience his wrath because he's fixing to ramp up his anger, as we'll see here in just a moment. So it says there in verse 11, and they overcame him, overcame the serpent, overcame the devil, overcame Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they loved not their lives even unto or loved not their lives unto the death. So those on this earth when Satan is cast down they're still going to have victory. They can't have victory but not in themselves. And by the way, that's how we overcome in times of spiritual battle as well. Not in our own energy, not in our own wisdom, not in our own power, not in our own ingenuity, not in our own experience. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Love not our lives unto death. The power, there's power in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It cleanses us. 
When the devil accuses us, it's good to know it's all under the blood. And he does accuse us. And there's power not only in our, the fact that we're saved and washed in the blood, but in the word of our testimony that we, that we have a good testimony, a confession of truth. And also the fact that we live surrendered lives. I'll tell you, the more, the more, it says they love not their lives even unto death. The more we give our lives completely over to him, the more victory we, we have. It's when we hold back and try to live for ourselves that we find ourselves weak and, and defeated. So, so what's going to happen when the devil gets kicked out? Look in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Be glad he's gone forever. Amen. I'd be, I'm happy too. I'm just happy reading about it. But, it says in verse 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The devil knows. He knows the Bible, probably much more than we know the Bible. He knows truth. He knows that at this point in time, his days are numbered. The, top, the clock is ticking. I mean, all these things have been recorded in the Bible. All these things have been predicted for thousands of years, and he knows that. So he knows when he gets kicked out that his days are numbered. And so he's always had great wrath, but his wrath, I believe, is going to intensify. I believe the Bible clearly teaches this. He knows his time is his numbered. Look in verse 13. And when the dragon saw, this gets us back to Israel. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. You know, the devil hates everything about God. And he hates us, but he doesn't hate us because of who we are in ourselves. He hates us because of who we are in Christ. He hates us because we're followers of Jesus. He hates us because we honor the one he wants honored, Jesus. He hates us because we believe the Bible. So he, he hates the woman and he hates us. But he can't do anything at this point we're reading about. He can't do anything with us. We're all up there. Off limits. No trespassing. He cannot deal with us. So where does he focus his intense hatred? Toward Israel. And he's always hated Israel. Israel has always been hated by Satan. You know why? Because they were God's special people. But not just that. Because to Israel was committed in the Old Testament a special measure of the presence of God. God would show up and manifest himself in the tabernacle, and the temple. And so he hated Israel. He hated Israel because of the presence of God. He hated Israel because Israel had the, the worship of God in the tabernacle and the temple and the plan that God gave them. He hated Israel because God gave Israel the oracles of God, the word of God. He hated Israel. But most of all, he hated Israel because the Messiah would come through Abraham's descendants, the, 
the Messiah would come who would rule and reign and he hates Israel and he hates the Lord. And so his attack on, the is on Israel will be intensified. Verse 14. And to the woman, Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, a special place, a protection, where she is nourished for a time, that's one time, and times, that's two times, and a halftime. That's not at the basketball game, halftime. It's, it's, it's talking about, again, it's through three different ways that the Bible describes the three and a half years of the tribulation. Sometimes it says it is, it's uh, 42 months. Sometimes it says it's 1,200 three-score days. More than once it says it with time and times and a half time, three and a half years. But for three and a half years during that last part of the tribulation, it's, God is going to care for Israel because the devil is out and hates her. Verse 15, it kind of says it in another way. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. We don't know. I don't know. You may know. I don't know what that water of a flood specifically is for certain. But I know in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, often that, that language is used just about words, verbal words, attacks, a flood of water, of words. And, 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 I, and I, to me, we see that against Israel, even in our life, this anti-Semitism, the hatred for Israel that abounds in so many places in so many ways. But, but whatever, for whatever reason, verse 15, or whatever this means, the, the serpent's going to cast out of his mouth waters of flood. But verse 16 says, and the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the drug, dragon cast out of his mouth. And I'm sure there are a lot of different opinions on what that means, but I'm not sure what they are. But I know this, the Satan has attacked the woman. And if you look in verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, the seed, her descendants, talking about Israel, those, those of, the, of the tribes of Israel, went to make war with the... So that seems like more than just, um, more than just verbal attacks. I believe that's attacking in other ways. Matter of fact, hold your finger right here and go to the Gospel of Luke for just a moment where Jesus is, again, talking about prophecy and things to happen in the future. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And just read a few verses here that talk about this time period that we're discussing tonight, beginning in verse 20. Luke 21, 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem... Compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Now, let me just insert something. We, we have, and I include myself in this, we have this tendency as New Testament Christians to find ourselves just thinking of gospel truth as it's recorded from Matthew forward. 
the coming of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the message of salvation, the, the responsibility to evangelize the world, but sort of leave out a whole lot of the Bible and a whole lot of truth. And so when we read things like this in Luke 21, when, when he's talking to his disciples and he says, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart and let, them not, let not them that are in the countries enter therein for these is the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled but woe unto them with child. These are similar to the words we, we read in, in Matthew chapter 24. And so, he's, but there he's clearly talking about when Jerusalem is under attack, compassed with armies. That's the words I want to look at. Compass with armies. And I believe that's what's going to happen. We know that's going to happen. We're going to get to this in another lesson or three or four down there about, about how the nations of the world are going to come against Israel and will converge on Israel in that valley of Megiddo. And it's that moment when Jesus is going to come back from heaven. So, so here in Revelation, John says, this dragon is wroth with the woman in verse 17. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now here's, here's what do we know about her seed? And we'll wrap this up tonight with this in verse 17. The seed of the woman are those which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So those are not just um, Jews who were committed Jews. These are Jews. These are descendants of Israel who are believers. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. They keep the commandments of God. And, and there's going to be intense attack against the woman and her seed. I think a part of that attack, the woman and her seed, would include the 144,000 we read about a few weeks ago. 12,000 from every tribe who are redeemed. They're followers of Christ. And the, the dragon is going to they're going to have a target on them. The dragon is going to be after them big time. I think that could also include others saved during the tribulation during that time. And let me just say this as we close, because again, we, we lose sight of this if we're not, that's why we need to be reminded periodically of these things. We lose sight of this, but one of the primary purpose of the tribulation is to, it'll judge Satan It'll judge the evil in the world. All, all these things will come to, but one of the primary purposes, one of the primary purposes of the tribulation is to bring Israel to their knees. So that, so at that time, many of them, we'll see this in the Bible, will acknowledge Jesus Christ, the one they rejected. They'll look on him whom they have pierced, the Old Testament prophet said. They'll look on Jesus and recognize indeed that he is the Messiah. And many of them will be saved because of the tribulation and as a result of what happens in the tribulation. So I've said this to our people, some of your guests tonight listening, but I, I've said our, we, we started this series and I intended just to do four or five lessons and kind of do an overview. But it just, you know, it's like a lot of sermons. They just grow. And a lot of sermon series grow. And I've just, I've just found myself just wanting to spend a little more time just 
slow down a little bit and spend a little more time just putting together some of these pieces. And the next one will be Revelation 13. And that is when this great Antichrist, this will be a part of the revived Roman Empire, these ten nations, and uh, will come into power. And so we're not going to... I'll tell you exactly how many sermons is going to be left in this. Several. <laughs> you know, when I read this, I, I don't know how, you know, it, it resonates with you. But the more I've been thinking about for weeks what's happening in the future, in particular what's happening in heaven, it's made me more mindful of what's going on in heaven even now, the worship of God, and what will be happening when we're there. When, in a world where there's no sin and there's no accusations and there's no disappointment, in a that's what Jesus is preparing for us. In a day when Satan will once and for all be removed from the picture. Won't that be a wonderful thing? And so I understand life. We sometimes get just, you know, so occupied with our life that we just trying to manage from day to day. And I completely understand that. But, but I'll tell you, we have a bright future. And it's good to be reminded of that from time to time. This is not all there is. Amen. And if you're saved, you're on the winning side. Thank God for that. And if you're not saved, you need to be saved. You need to get saved. You, this is real stuff. You need to come to Christ. This is not, this is not fairy tales and fiction. This is real stuff. And if you don't need to know the Lord, you need to know the Lord. Amen. May God help you to see the urgency of that. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. We go through life sometimes and wonder, why does this happen? And why did God let that happen? And what's going to be the result of this? But one good thing we see in reading these, studying these, these subjects and these passages is that God has a plan and he's working it out. And, and he, has, he has everything under control. I thank God for that. Our fathers, we pray this evening, we thank you for your word and for the privilege of studying it together. And as we've said numerous times in this series, there's a lot of things we don't fully understand. And we don't want to say we understand them if we don't understand them. But we understand enough to cause us to rejoice in your truth and, Lord, rejoice in your plan and have confidence that sometimes when it looks like the devil's winning, as we read tonight, his days are numbered. And we're just glad tonight to belong to you.